This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my kinfolk's way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to speechtherapypd.com and enter the code FIRSTBITE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the one to three hour webinar courses, as well as all the First Byte pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay, well, if you do, you can use that same coupon, First Byte, and access all of the courses on speechtherapypd.com's website for a fabulous deal of $179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon first bite when you check out at the speechtherapypd.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hi, I hope that y'all have been enjoying First Bite as much as I've been enjoying making this and doing all the research behind the scenes. I'd love to uh, meet with y'all live and I have some upcoming lecture tours that you can catch me at. And I just wanted to share a little bit in advance that way you can get it on your calendars. So on April 5th, 2019, I will be at the Arizona Speech Hearing Association in Phoenix And their conference this year is at the Sheraton Crescent Hotel. And on that Friday, I'll be presenting three lectures all around early intervention and pediatric feeding and swallowing. And the following weekend, I'll be at the Minnesota Speech Hearing Association in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I'll be presenting on Friday and Saturday, April 12th and 13th of 2019. And their conference this year is at the Hyatt Regency. So please be sure to stop by and say hi if you're out in Phoenix and or a week later in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to go from hot to cold in about a week's time frame. But whoop, whoop, I will see y'all in the spring. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hi, 
Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we are talking all things listening and hearing. And I'm going to put it out there. This is a refreshing one for yours truly. Now, I know I painstakingly labored away reviewing audiograms like a million years ago in undergraduate school. Um, thank you, Dr. Siever. Uh, but trust me when I say I labored over those things. This class has kicked my katukis. In truth, I really never thought I was going to use that information. I just wanted to help folks eat and drink. So I really wasn't worried about remembering that information until my own sweet little goose and bear were both diagnosed with conductive hearing losses, secondary to chronic otitis media. So thank you preterm labor and premature babies for bringing that lovely learning experience home. My mama heart is so relieved to say that after some surgeries, healing time, and a fair amount of speech therapy, our little ones can hear and produce most of their speech sounds correctly with the occasional little lovely LNR. But I need to give due justice. So shout out to all the lovely ladies and gents that have helped our little ones heal and hear over the years. Thank you. But honestly, isn't that really how it is for the most of us? We learn material to make it through that next exam. We survive that recertification process. And then the information that we had to learn, it gets compartmentalized or like chucked out the window to make room for that next bit of data. That's how we all do it. Well, after going through the experiences with our own little ones, it dawned on me just how many of my quote unquote feeding only babies were also presenting with signs and symptoms of hearing loss, but I was missing the subtle cues. Luckily, an amazing special needs mama mentored my soul. And under that woman's tutelage, and don't forget folks, learning and mentoring can come from some of the most amazing places if you just open yourselves up to it. Well, under her tutelage, I started catching those cues earlier and making referrals to audiologists quicker, something that should have been black and white. It took an outside set of eyes to remind me of that. Well, Flash forward a few years, and I met Mr. Jason Wigan, AUD, an assistant professor and clinical director of the Cochlear Implant Program at the University of South Carolina. We got into a sidebar conversation during an advocacy meeting together about the need for functional resources and strategies for the little ones that we treat who have hearing loss. So this episode today came to pass while standing under the sweltering South Carolina sun on one wicked hot concrete sidewalk in downtown Cola Town, South Carolina. Y'all, like it was sweating, just like walking outside. Now, you know I'm a bit passionate about what we do, but hold on tight because Mr. Jason has the equivalent fervor for when it comes to his respective field. So, Mr. Jason... Who are you? Where are you from? And how in the world did you land in the world of audiology? <laughs> well, that's quite a story here. So uh, thank you for, for allowing me to come on here with you. And this is really a pleasure. But my, my, my journey here, my path, what have you, it's not quite a common one. Um, I was actually um, brought into the field by my own hearing loss. Um, I am bilaterally hearing impaired. I was diagnosed in college, actually. I had gone to college on ROTC scholarship, and my third year in, I had gotten a slot to jump school in Fort Benning, Georgia, and I had a full physical, and I failed the hearing test. So I, of course, had a hearing screen, which now I know the difference between an evaluation and a screen, but I had a screen to get in, and I failed a full eval. So, medical discharge, finished up college, actually started working for FedEx and on the docks and worked my way up through management. And I was with them for about 15 years. And I was 
a regular and consistent and habitual hearing aid user prior to even getting an audiology. So I, I wanted to do all I could to to hear and, and so forth, but uh, it kept my hearing stayed on the decline. So I was consequently implanted in 2004 and just became fascinated with the technology, with the the re- gaining of my hearing, if you will. And that's the best way to put it. Just the, the, the acuity that I regained was amazing. So I was very fortunate. I did very well with the implant and um, kind of started looking into the field. And about the same time, the field had transitioned from a master's degree to a doctor, uh, doctoral degree. And so the prerequisites and so forth had changed. And and I had a, a number to do. I had an undergraduate degree in economics, but I had a number to do. So I took a year worth of prereqs and took the dreaded GRE, and I was accepted to the Ohio State University. And so I completed my AUD. And... Um, couple years in private practice and here I am in uh, South Carolina. The opportunity was um, brought to my attention by actually a, 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 my advisor who had been at North Car- excuse me, South Carolina, who had been down here in South Carolina uh, back in 2006 and uh, he let me know about the opportunity and a few phone calls, visit in person, uh, thankfully an offer and here I am. So that brings us here. I had no idea that this was your walk. This is my walk. That was a very quick, very short and concise and succinct version, if you will. But uh, that was that's that's also the high points. Yeah. No. This is this is amazing. I, I mean, did you have hearing loss as a child? Did you did you notice a decline, or was it? No, I did not. I I mean. Honestly, it probably started in my early teens, you know, a high frequency loss. And I was in band and I was, you know, I I played my share of sports. I was not a jock, but I was always out there at practice and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But there wasn't any insult, trauma. The band was just, um, I was, it was more, that's more of a definition of my, my um, passion for music and sound than any kind of trauma. And so, um, so no, I was very in tune with my hearing and I, I've always loved music. I've always loved jazz. I've always loved the intricacies of music and, and even speech and even talk radio. You know, I've always, I've always loved recordings and, and listening to, to good speech and sound and so forth. So no, it, um, the only thing is, it was not from childhood. Um, the only thing is, I had German measles, rubella, when I was about eighteen months old. But I was fine. My brother was the one with the hearing, um, or not, I should say, hearing issues. I'm sorry, but the middle ear issues, the otitis media, the ear infections, all that. And so, my mother was the the goose and the bear issues, right? But and my mother was a crazy. Irish Catholic mom, you know, so I'm getting tested every time he's getting tested and, you know, making sure everything's fine and all that. So, but I was fine. And so, and my brother's fine, you know, he had tubes and that sort of thing. And, but you know, not, not a whole lot beyond age three is ear infections, of course, cleared up and that sort of thing. So we never had any, any issues. So they think that during puberty, um, you know, that, 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 that antibody stays, I guess, in your system, that viral antibody will stay in your system. They think it kind of like chicken pox and shingles, right? That, that, that during puberty, an autoimmune deficiency or attack, if you will, um, you know, got my, uh, got the delicate, uh, auditory system. You know, I had a couple bouts with mono, not that mono caused it, but I obviously had some autoimmune stuff going on, uh, during my teenage years. And, um, and they think that's that's the only thing, right? That um, that that could actually have caused my my sensory neural decline. I just have to say, it's beautiful to me that out of something that could have been so devastating, you turned it into advocacy. So rock on. 
Thank you. It, it, I got to admit, and anybody that you know has had similar insult, uh, you know, it's oh, it was pretty devastating for a little bit. But it's a matter of okay, either this is going to beat you or you're going to beat it. And you know, it was a, it was a. I got to admit, it was a rough few years. It was a rough, probably close to eight to ten years. But um, initially, after you know, after it, it began, if you will, after the diagnosis and 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 just the loss of the scholarship and the, the shift in path in life. Right. So, but here we are. Huh. Well, I mean, it's kind of how I feel about my ex-husband and here we are. And life is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. So, all right. Well, here we are. Okay. So now you, you are in a clinic and I am in the homes and I am very much in the thick of all the things um, and I mean, on any given day, I'm going out and there's one to two additional children in the house. Um, there's one house I go to for a fact on Tuesday that I don't really know how many dogs they have because I can't keep track of it. Right. Um, and there's all these other variables going on and I go in to do my due diligence and do a amazing natural environment based speech therapy session with a little bit of PO and I'm competing against all of the, that now I do have a fair share of, and I've been completely honest with it, ADD and ADHD. So when I walk into a house and the TV's on in the background, like I have to turn the TV off, not because of a hearing concern, but because I can't focus like I go, I mean, I just, I literally can't focus if the TV's on in the room, forget about it, attention is gone. But from that perspective, what are the effects of background noise and unlistening abilities and from the perspective of these tiny humans that I'm going into work with? Right. Well, I mean, admittedly, fundamentally, having to listen and communicate when in the presence of background noise, research over the past 20 years, a mountain of which has occurred, you know, has, has accumulated within the past 10, shows that it leads to very, very good outcomes, excellent outcomes. Um, now, that's having to communicate in the presence of a challenging uh, signal, in the presence of challenging background noise, okay? The, you know, attention and the audit, the focus, auditory focus, if you will, um, that is needed does benefit, and children and adults, okay? Um, however, for, you know, speech therapy and for auditory verbal therapy and so forth, it is distracting. I mean, to to communicate on a daily functional level in challenging uh, conditions has shown to be good, has shown to be beneficial. It is not shown to be detrimental, okay, I guess I should say. Um, however, in speech therapy, auditory verbal therapy, and so forth, like I said, um, you you want to not just yes, of course, for the background noise, you want to get have the clear signal from from yourself so that they can um, that they can participate in therapy, and from an attention standpoint, right? They don't need the TV on behind them. So, you know, if you have a hearing impaired child, um, it is critical that you can have a isolated, quiet place. You know, without the distraction, um, without, you know, without an increasing amount of auditory challenge, right? Dog barking outside the door, TV going on, uh, somebody knocking, um, having all the stuff, like you said, that we have learned about all speech therapists and, and, and audiologists, an acoustically sound room. Now, you're not in a sound booth, but, you know, if you can get in a room that's got carpet instead of hardwood floors, great. If you can get in a room that has some, you know, window dressings or upholstered furniture as opposed to a, you know, laundry room with tile and bare walls, great. You know, things like that. Anything you can do to soften the, any, any softer surfaces are going to be acoustically better. So I don't want to I don't want to confuse the answer to that question that in general yes to forcibly to to have to communicate 
in the presence of challenging uh, conditions, background noise and things like that is good because it aids in your auditory focus. But for the elicitation of therapy, of course, taking consideration that you 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 want to have good outcomes, you want to have good um, you know have a good session and so forth. Looking for a room, looking for conditions that are a little softer are are critical and very beneficial. No, that that makes absolutely perfect sense because that's the equivalent of me like teaching a concept in one environment and then carrying it over to another environment. Like I have. I distinctly remember the mom just wanted the little guy to be able to order his chicken nuggets when they went to Chick-fil-A. So we mocked that up at the kitchen table, practicing, scripting, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? Because it was, you know, half verbal and half on like a speech generating device. And then we carried it over and like put it in practice at Chick-fil-A. I mean, so from, you know, verbal spontaneous speech perspective like i can see the carryover from one setting to another setting and now i'm just thinking about a little guy that i see when we're in the kitchen and there is no drapes on the window and there's no there's no tablecloth um when we go to do therapy in the kitchen he um it's it's very hard for him to focus but I didn't even think about from that perspective of the sound basically like ricocheting off of the linoleum floor and the dry walls. Oh. Right. And that's exactly right. You put it you put it perfectly better than I did. Uh, you know, you 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 teach the well, you know, you have the tools and you have to use those and use those um, those skills, those auditory skills or those I'm sorry, those those speech skills and auditory skills and carry them over into more challenging situations. So being able to utilize those skills in challenging situations is is that's that's the end goal. This is functional, this is life. You're going to carry this over into your daily living, you know, tasks of daily living and so forth. So, yeah, and Again, with children, you know, you want to establish those skills. You want to establish that foundational um, language and 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 skill set, and then they carry it into adulthood. And even adults that are implanted show overwhelmingly if they are able or they are a individual who leaves leads a very dynamic life and is in a lot of dynamic. Um, environments, auditory environments, um, they overwhelmingly, like I said, do much better and have better outcomes sooner than average. It may, the average individual, you know, you may have, be able to accomplish the same successes within six months to a year, but individuals who can challenge their system and challenge themselves auditorily um, do on average, do better in the shorter term. I think I think you hit it right there. A lot of people don't realize, and it's one of the banes of my existence in early intervention. I get a lot of the time, oh, you just play with the special babies. I'm like, no, baby, we're your foundation. We're your building blocks for everything else that is coming. <laughs> so like, that's just, yes. And because I have a special needs brother-in-law who's 41, I see what it looks like now. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand what this will look like at 41 if you don't address those things now and set for success then. That's exactly yes. right. And and what you said about your situation or the the table and there's some window dressings and things like that, those being able to assess the acoustic environment, which is it's it's audiology one on one stuff. It really is SLP one on one stuff. I mean, you know, everybody's got a little course in audiology that they had their first year or something, and sound ricochets off of flat surfaces and reverb and echo and the inverse square law where sound over a distance, you know, uh, attenuates doubling, um, you know, by twice for every three to six feet and all that sort of thing. So, you know, but being like able to- 400 words, that I don't know what they mean. <laughs> yeah, they're there. So, it's all Wikipedia for, you know, we need a SLP, AUD, Wikipedia. But the ability to just, and again, without 
and I kind of went to the nth degree there, if you will. But like you said, a tablecloth. Yeah, a tablecloth. Um, the fact that you, if you could sit at the table that is over an area rug as opposed to the one in the eating kitchen area that's right next to the refrigerator that has an ice maker that hums every five minutes and has, and the window is right by the driveway where people or the street where that's closer and cars are going by, you know, to have an area where, and you can't interior decorate. We aren't interior decorators. We're SLPs. We're communication uh, therapists. So, um, no, but, but I know a really look, good interior decorator. So, like, just right. <laughs> I know. All right. Okay. So, you know, but being able to look at a situation or look at and in the school it, again, we're, we're we're focused on home health care here and 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 that sort of thing with um, with the uh, with the therapy given in their natural environment in the home. It's the same for school SLPs, you know, looking and we talk about it in our uh, program and coursework that I teach at the university, being able to go into the classroom and say, yeah, this is, so we have how many hearing impaired children in this classroom or this is the special needs area? Okay. Uh, we got to get tennis balls on these chairs or scooting around too much. We got to get rid of that aquarium. It's bubbling. It's making noise. This projector isn't going to work if we can get a smart board in here. If not, that projector has got to be, that child has to be somewhere else instead of underneath that projector. So taking that environment, just doing a quick look of the room and saying, okay, how acoustically sound is this? And can we do anything temporarily while we're here for, you know, the hour that we're giving therapy um, that we can do to improve it? This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part, the information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise. That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course. The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through SpeechTherapyPD.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. Okay, all right. So then when you go through and you do those room assessments, like when I go into the home and, I mean, I go into upscale, incredibly financially secure sound homes down to we're living to paycheck to paycheck homes as well. So like I see the continuum of homes, right? So when I go in to do, and, and then sometimes, I mean, I've done therapy at the Walmart because you have to put the in front of Walmart, just like you put the the in front of the Ohio, was it the Ohio State? I totally heard that earlier. But like- It is the Ohio yeah, State I, University. I, I definitely so. the, the the in front of that. What, <laughs> I'm a JMU girl, come on, man. Um, all right, so- what what am I looking for specifically in the environment? And do you have recommendations for technological solutions to offset those variables when I'm going in? Yes, you're you're looking for softer surfaces. And when I say that, the example you gave with the table, um, having a tablecloth on it is better. Having a table that even has placemats on it is better. Um, having upholstered furniture, okay, um, versus hard, you know, like a wooden chair with a wooden seat and a slat back versus a upholstered chair, a covered chair with a foam seat and, you know, cloth back. Um, you know, in... 
again, you're 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 limited depending on the environment, like you said, the the homes versus the apartments, or you know, um, you know, a mobile home and that sort of thing. But you know, you want to see you can put things in the environment again, or you know, you can. We're not we're not talking about draping it off like you know uh, uh, a sleepover fort that four year olds make you know when they want to go and you know with their flashlights and popcorn and watch a movie and everything you know you're not gonna close you're not gonna close yourself in like a cloth dome but if you can and you know just where again take a kitchen situation if the eat-in kitchen area is where the, you have usually um, you know, usually conducted therapy. Um, if you can do it over in the den, or if you can do it in a spare bedroom, or uh, wherever there are softer surfaces, I guess that's the best thing. Softer surfaces and and I guess smaller spaces. Now again, we're not talking about going into a closet. We're not talking about going. You know, but we don't do that anymore. About- Therapy no longer happens in closets. I did that once upon a time out of elementary school, but like we've that's just- fabulous. <laughs> that's good. It's 2018. We don't do that going anymore. 2019. <laughs> we have come a long way. Yes. But you know, think about walking out into your garage when your garage is empty. Your car's not in there. It's out in the driveway. You go in there to get whatever you keep in your garage. You know, you get another case of uh, pop or you're going in the freezer. It's empty. It's, it's, it's echoey. You can tell you're in a bigger space. You could walk into your garage, close your eyes. You know, somebody could walk you in there and you would know you're in a bigger space versus being in your den versus being in your bedroom which most people's bedrooms are probably the most acoustically sound in their home. You've got the comforter, you got the pillows, you got carpet nine times out of ten. Even if you don't have carpet, you got space or um, um, area uh, rugs. Area rugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are uh, your bathroom versus your bedroom. Every, in most cases, you can tell acoustically, okay? If you just close your eyes, the soundscape, the acoustic environment changes when you walk from your bedroom into the bathroom. It's more of a, you know, be it open or reverberant or hard surface space. Um, so that's the biggest thing to look for is just take a moment, listen. Is it, what's it sound like in here? Is it too open? Now, again, right, like you said, houses versus apartments and so forth, the open floor plan is probably a, the most hideous acoustic phenomenon, okay, that has occurred. I mean, we have an open floor plan in our house here, and sometimes I'm just, just give me a closet, give me a small efficiency studio apartment in the south side of chicago and i would be happier but it, you know because it's so hard to hear across space and just because you can see someone across 50 feet of space in a house or you know what i'm saying doesn't mean that that you're understanding and the intelligibility is there so um so i guess you know they're definitely taking in, in into account the acoustic environment softer materials an area where there are softer materials softer spaces uh not you know walls that are broken up that not a room where it's just all flat walls i've been in so many therapy rooms and we even have at the university or you know treatment rooms or even diagnostic rooms and and hearing aid fitting rooms where you would think would be the most ideal um acoustically treated areas that are just flat open, high ceiling, nothing hanging on the walls, because any single thing that can break up that sound, any single thing that can contribute to sound not reflecting in the, you know, same manner at which it struck that surface. So that echo, that reverberance, that sound is, is continuing. It doesn't get to dissipate. The more times it hits a surface and the, the more angles that it can actually travel at, the, f- the quicker it's going to dissipate, which is good. You know, so that's why like cinder block and painted cinder block, even though it's like, oh my gosh, concrete would be terrible. All that, that porous surface, anything porous is going to be better. So softer materials, softer surfaces, porous materials are going to be your best bet. Okay. All right. So Two thoughts. One, Squirrel, I just have to say, did you? I read this really cool article because I don't sleep very well that said that there is a sound difference between 
pouring of hot liquid into a cup and pouring of cold liquid into a cup. Did you read that? I did not Dude, be interested to, but fascinating. I will email it to you because I emailed it to myself because I just, it just struck my fancy at like three o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah. And you, if you think about it, you know, the density of the liquid is different. Yes. The molecules That's- of cold water is more, are more dense. They are moving less rapidly. The friction that's, that creates the heat, those molecules in the hot water are moving much quickly, yeah, much more it quickly. Was, it was, it was fast. I figured, I figured you would geek out with that level of geekiness. All right. So then when I, all right, so squirrel, I will find the article and re-email it to you. And everybody listening is like, wow, they're really nerdy individuals. <laughs> oh, I can. Yeah. I'm just scratching the surface here. Yeah, that's okay. So there's, there's the, that. Okay. Okay, now, if you go into a house and say they have that giant open floor plan, and I'm, I do not, I mean, my house does not have that big of a floor plan, but so help me, if my husband, because he has, my, my husband has hearing loss in his right ear from firing too many shots once upon a time, and um, if my youngest, Bear, who gets seen up there at Gals University, um, if they're in the other room and I call to them, they can't hear me because if like, if I'm in the kitchen, they just cannot hear around the corner. My oldest, he can hear me up the stairs, down the hallway. And if he doesn't hear me now, I know he's giving me the business because there's a difference between a hearing loss and giving the business. The oldest is the business. So what technological ideas, recommendations do you have for addressing that? Something that I can go in and on the fly say, hey, can we try this? So for, I guess the question should be stated or answered for individuals in two parts. For individuals who have devices, hearing aids or implants, and then those who may not. So hopefully anyone that is receiving speech therapy um, has enhanced hearing loss has devices and there has been intervention, you know, they have some hearing aids or cochlear implants. So uh, we'll take with uh, first those with devices, hearing aids or, or the, uh, or cochlear implants. Distance along with reverberation. Okay. Flat surfaces, um, shiny flat surfaces. I say shiny because that means non-porous. It just gives a nice descriptor. But uh, distance is the second enemy. It's also your enemy. You know. So uh, again, when for therapy, you're right in front of the the child, right? You're right there. Um, Unless I'm playing hide and go seek, because I do utilize a lot of hide and go seek. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, that's just I don't sit still very well. So, like, I'm running right. around the house. So, like, where, what, when I do that on the fly? Well, so FM systems, okay, are very flexible, very universal. There's a lot of misunderstanding about they need a specific receiver for that type of hearing aid or that type of implant. And and it's it's not, it, well, that is true, but that's not the only way to utilize the FM system. Pretty much any, well, all cochlear implants and most all, especially um, for children or appropriate for children, hearing aids have Telecoil features. Now, telecoil is a feature that any FM system can um, can pair with. Can the individual can receive sound through? Okay, so and this is where and any any teachers or anybody uh, in the school settings and so forth know exactly what I'm talking about. Where the teacher has the transmitter and the receiver would be a necklace. Okay, and the actual necklace itself with a, a a small box on it goes around the child. They wear it like a little a little loop around their around their neck, and that necklace is a actual antenna. And the transmitter that the teacher or the therapist would have um, that they has a little microphone. They're talking to it. They clip it on their their collar within usually about twelve to eighteen inches from their mouth. Um, then that 
child receives the signal in their hearing aid or cochlear implant. Now, they're also getting signal, hopefully, or the hearing aids are set appropriately, or the cochlear implants, that they're getting sound from the exterior as well. So not just from the signal from the transmitter, but they're able to hear, you know, say the classmates sit next to them or other people in the room. How much is that? That is an imp- well, that, 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 it can be pricey. Um, basically, uh, or a transmitter is going to run 500 to, yeah, five, six, seven hundred dollars $700. And then the receiver, that, that universe receiver, probably you get into for about 150 to 300, but it is a pricey system. So it's not something I understand that everyone has the ability to go and, and purchase, but their practice or, you know, if it's something that can, because it does monumentally improve the signal that the child, the individual is receiving. This is improving what's called signal to noise ratio. Okay. That that signal is clear and FM systems by far is for hearing impaired individuals with devices is the primary means for improving the signal to noise ratio, especially in educational or therapeutical uh, therapeutic situations. So that you wear that you're playing hide and seek, you got the transmitter on, um, you know, the child's wearing the uh, receiver. They do have, again, there can be plug-in receivers, but that is, um, that is going to be your best bet. Many, do you know, I mean, is that something that we can check out and borrow? Does insurance pay for that? Now I have like four hundred questions. Right there, I mean, uh, there there can be um, some school. All school systems um, have funds and budget, and I write letters constantly to different school systems. Uh, um, you know, for support for a child, for a student, for an FM system, a hearing impaired student. So they have FM systems in the schools. Um, so those, yeah, uh, you know, they're, we're the, we're the, we're the first step. I'm thinking like trying to get them into the homes. Do you know of now w- with that? So, but that's, that's one solution. Um, this is something else, depending on the device that the child has, there can be, which is a much, much, more cost-effective solution. Again, we're still talking a couple hundred dollars. Um, a microphone that pairs directly with their devices. Okay. Now, again, it does the same thing. It's a shorter range device. FM is very, very long range, um, especially, like I said, most anybody working in the school that may be listening in or possibly, you know, you've heard the story about how a teacher left their FM on when they went to the teacher's lounge or went to the bathroom and kids that were connected on the channel could hear them. You no, know? but I have gone to go, I've lectured once and then forgot I had the microphone on as I walked into the bathroom and somebody goes, honey, your microphone's on and caught right. me. Like, and I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. But like, Same premise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> in conferences, right, presentations, same premise. Yeah. So um, the mini, you know, microphones, and they have different names, mini microphone, remote microphone, and so forth, is something that can that can be used. Um, and again, it's just as as it, it's as effective in improving that signal to noise ratio. It's just a shorter range, which for for home health services is 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 fine. Um, you're not going to be further than 30, 50 feet away from the child typically. So, um, you know, it, but outside of costs, so or having an additional device to utilize, removing unwanted noise is the best way put the dogs out in the other room put them outside um turn the tv off you know wherever you are if you can you know when listening therapy turn the tv off don't have little brother and sister playing in the floor with the legos and the cars and the toys that make noise while you're trying to you know uh conduct therapy again so moving on to someone who or um child who to improve the sound with or without hearing loss, you're really um, confined. Your options are reduce the distance between yourselves. 
uh, reduce the distance and reduce the noise. And this goes back to the softer surfaces, you know, less reverb, less echo when echo is just a, you know, if you can a layperson's term for reverb, that is going to help um, have a clear signal uh, that the, the child can receive. So with your, your husband and your children that are across the house, yeah, there's not a great solution other than maybe blow up my kitchen wall and put a window in. <laughs> right, right, Sorry. right. Not that that's a dream. You know, and, <laughs> right. And you know what I was saying about, you know, as far as the open floor plan is just that, that an open space, having a, a more enclosed space where you are conducting your important business, in this case, your therapy and so forth is better. So in the middle of that kitchen with a big island and granite countertops and high ceilings and the eating kitchen area, probably not the best. Go into the den area, go into the front office, go into the dining room. You know, go in. There are typically, even in your larger homes, they have smaller rooms uh, where, which again, maybe the office, maybe a den, maybe a dining room that would be better utilized rather than right there in the great room, quote my air quotes, the great room where you have the TV and the fireplace and, and 11 foot ceilings and so forth. That's not the place to do therapy. Ideally. Ideally, if you talk to it, you got to do it there, you got to do it. But ideally, no, that's not a place. Honestly, on a if it's if it's quiet, again, walk in, just scope the place out, right? You could if they got a sunroom and again, I'm not talking about outside, but if they, you know, have a um a enclosed porch or something, that may be better than in that great room. Because of the reverb and that, you know, that, that, that great open space, if it's a closed or it's a smaller space that's more enclosed, um, you might have better acoustic environment. I tend to like the kitchen nooks or the little kitchen tables um, versus... Kitchens are tough. I Kitchens mean, are tough. Yeah. Lots of flat, shiny surfaces. Yep. But, I mean, if you ride shotgun one day on a Tuesday or on a Thursday when I'm going out into the the country and those little kitchen nooks, they got curtains and lace and the whole nine yards. And I like those over the bigger dining room areas because those tend to be so, yeah. But I mean, those give me a nook. No, that's, there you that's go. Interesting. And in those, right, in a home yes. where you do have, again, you got, you know, you got the little doilies and you got the cloth drapes and little things and stuff like that. And you got, you got some placemats down. You're good. That's good. It's when you can break up the flat surface, you can enclose or, you know, have a, a smaller of a, of a space um, with less straight flat lines, flat walls. A lot of those little nooks are kind of octagonal. You know, they bump out a little bit. Um, you're in, yes, you're in good shape with that. And the last thing I'll say about that is wood. Wood is very, wood is a soft surface. When I'm saying hot surface, hot surface, hot Hard. hard. How about hard <laughs> services? When I'm saying hard services, I'm talking about, you know, granite countertops, stainless steel, tile, That's flat. That's not my house, baby. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, wood, wood is, again, wood is warm. Wood is very, is a soft surface. It is not. It's got the grain and so forth. And all those little imperfections do help. Um, provide a better acoustic environment because you are giving more little divots and angles for the sound to reflect off of. And that's, that's good. That's going to attenuate. That's going to lessen the amount of, of echo and, 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 and problematic sounds that occur. Helps them focus. Yeah. Okay. All right. So clarify because it's, I, my grays are showing. I mean, one, because I haven't seen my lovely hairstylist. So, like, literally they're showing. But, two, I'm feeling old. Remind me, what is signal-to-noise ratio? Because, you know, there's I'm not the only one out there that's like, oh, I knew I knew it for the praxis. Right. But now. Yeah. Right. Now, signal-to-noise ratio is the ratio, the difference in decibels between the signal of interest. So, in therapy, it's your voice. It's, um, you know, it's the child's voice voice and so forth, parent's voice, thank you, and the background noise. 
Okay, so the noise, which can be, you know, the TV, any unwanted noise, noise or any unwanted sound. Noise is unwanted sound. So sound that is conflicting or that is interfering with the signal of interest. So signal to noise ratio of, and it's in, again, in decibels. So positive signal to noise ratio is, is a good thing. The greater the positive, so you have plus five, that means the signal of interest is five decibels above the background noise. Plus 10 is 10 decibels above the background noise. Plus 20 is plus 20 or 20 decibels above the background noise. When you have negative signal to noise ratio, you have your noise is greater than the signal of interest, right? So conversely, negative five, the noise is five dB greater than the signal. Uh, negative 10, noise is 10 dB greater than the signal. The younger the child, okay, and this is kind of a refresher too, the younger the child, the better the signal to noise ratio needs to be for ideal auditory um, access. Normal hearing or hearing impaired. So a three-year-old to, to, to have, um, to have, Equal successes on tasks. Um, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a kindergarten class needs a better signal-to-noise ratio than a sixth-grade class, and that's due to just auditory immaturity, their own, you know, of course, speech and language development. Um, and I'm talking normal hearing impaired. You know, there still is auditory immaturity, and I'm talking about neurological cortical immaturity that occurs up until you know early teens. So, processing of sound basically is just more challenging for younger children. And our ANSI standards, American National Standards Institute, do reflect that. For the classroom, um, they recommend better signal-to-noise ratio for younger classrooms versus, um, say, you know, middle school and high school classrooms. <sighs> You just gave me a lot to process, not just as a therapist, but also as a mom. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of it's one of those things that I I walk in and you know my kids are are teenagers now, thirteen and fifteen. But even so, I'd walk in a classroom when they were younger, and you know, kindergarten room and kindergarten classroom, and they got the the aquarium, and they got uh, some kind of TikTok noisemaker over here, and they got they got frogs. That's right, they got animals. They got frogs. They got guinea pigs squealing in the corner. They got you know a projector. They got a smart board, which is relatively quiet. They really don't make any noise. Then they got a projector too, and they got it's like holy cow, the signal to noise ratio by you know oh it's every national institute and recommendations international and national because it's not just american national standards institute the international standards institutes are honestly i can't quote them but if if five will get you ten they're probably more strict than 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 the u.s are okay so how do how should we chart this like if i have concerns for like i mean i have I go in, okay, so backtrack. I'm thinking of one child in particular. She's a fraternal twin and she was a premature child and um, alcohol, drug exposure in utero, being raised by a, a different family. And, and it's a fantastic family that's taken, you know, the child and sibling in. But I walk in the door and I know with all of those past medical histories, we're going to have delayed neural acquisition of cognitive expressive receptive language and then you add in um cleft of palate and lip and you know craniofacial asymmetry and i'm like we've already got conductive hearing loss and or i suspect conductive hearing loss however the speech pathologist on the team has yet to convince other team members to go for an um audiology exam which is pretty frustrating. Um, you can fill in all the frustrating words right there, but that's a conversation for a different day. Um, how can I, how should I write this? Should I write it in my notes as SLP is concerned that signal to noise ratio due to these environmental factors is impeding ability? Cause I have concerns for, I know that particular child that there's so much going on in the environment. Baby can't focus, but no matter which way I spin it, I can't get 
compliance with that. You see what I'm saying? Right. Right. So what do I, what do well, I all write? Well, just that, uh, you know, the acoustic environment is not, um, appropriate for, you know, and I guess, I guess I want to ask what the, but the end goal for you're writing this to enact to, for, for an action item on the parents part or for your justification to, um, multifactorial. Um, I want, um, family to implement, you know, to be able to like, I want them to work on target sounds with, in conjunction with sign language, but the baby's got to be able to look at them and focus. But with all the numerous creatures and noises and siblings in the house, like, yeah, I'm just asking for them to spend like 15 right. minutes once a day, just like right. quiet. Let yeah. Them, yeah. Especially when you I would want to say, loss. yeah. Right. Well, you would want to say that, um, you know, in a, acoustically appropriate environment. And then, you know, this is of course for your report writing and so forth, but to document that and to say identifying uh, the need for an acoustically appropriate environment and removing any sources of unwanted sound, you know, dog, TV, siblings, etc. And one thing also that, you know, any any therapist can keep in mind too is you can from uh, gosh, you know, Best Buy, Amazon, wherever. Get a little. Actually, you got one on your phone. Got one on your phone. On the phones, iPhone doesn't matter. There's an app for that. There's an app for everything. You can get a sound level meter. Now, it's not the one you get on your phone. May not be, you know, calibrated. It's going to give you a rough estimate. And if you wanted to see what the sound level, the noise level was in that room at that time. Again, whether it's just uh, a result of the you know hard surfaces and reverb and that sort of thing, or just some surrounding sound, or it's again you're by the window that faces the street and you're getting traffic, you can pull up the app and let it you know and 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 let the app decibel. I'm not I don't work for Apple or any apps uh, you know developers, but there's a, there's a ton of them out there. I've, and I've used you can, those in therapy. You can. I'm sorry. I've used those. I yeah. use one. I use and you can use for- it and see. And if yeah. you can keep it, and again, even in a quiet therapy room, you'll be lucky if you get below. And I don't. I mean, in a in a university clinic or in a hospital or something, you'll be lucky if you get below fifty dB, which is fine. Because, and I'm talking the HVAC system or just, you know, just the shuffling of a chair or something. You know, if you can stay at. In quiet. So everybody, everybody be quiet. Okay, here we go. And the record, if you can keep it at about being in an environment, in a room where you get about 50, you're good. Okay, because conversational speech is about 65 averages, anything in the, you know, research and and things that typically they use 65 decibels. Right now we're speaking probably about 65 to 70 decibels. So you're going to be talking at least 15 dB above, you know, Ambient sound. Every every room's got sound, right? You got sounds. That room from or sound from the room next door, sound from the room below, breathing, right? Whatever. Um, so it's logarithmic, nonlinear, all that, more geek stuff. But uh, <laughs> you're going to be automatically talking and eliciting therapy at about fifteen. A, a signal to noise ratio of plus 15. We're talking ideal. We're talking ideal for five-year-olds, three-year-olds, five-year-olds, and so forth. You know, so you're, you're well within the range there. So that's something any therapist can have uh, on their phone and show the parents. Say, this is why doing it at the kitchen island is not ideal. Watch, click. We're quiet with my air quotes again and it's 72 decibels in here this is not good not only is it not good for the child and listening therapy there's vocal strain okay i'm going to have yeah. laryngitis before <laughs> i get out of here yeah so so those are things that can be done um you know it doesn't matter what the room is you know you can actually just kind of kind of be in a acoustic detective you know you look around you listen elementary my dear watson uh, this room is too loud <laughs> I, love I have i have literally used those things for the reverse i had a kiddo a few years ago who was quote unquote had um selective mutism and i was like yeah. no, no he doesn't he's he was just a very shy kid. 
sure. who happen to be on the spectrum who happen to have had a drastic change in the fundamental frequency of his voice. Thank you, puberty. And he was embarrassed by his new deep voice. Yeah. And it took me having a boatload of siblings to like, thank you, my good Watson, to like put it all together. And I downloaded one of those decibel apps. I was like, you have to speak in the red. And I don't remember what it was. It had a big old megaphone on it. And like, it was me with him, but it was like the opposite. Like instead of going, listening for it to be done. Yeah. But it worked. It worked. It it was, I mean, and all of a sudden he started talking in sentences in public and I was like, see, I just couldn't hear you. I'm old. That's (laughs) good. No, that's good. That's exactly right. How very insightful. Okay. Okay. Now we have literally three minutes. And this question I know will require more than that, but I have to allow time for Q&A. So in three minutes, could you give me one to two benefits of listening with two ears? Listening with two ears is, again, well-established as ideal, as better. Your benefits are primarily threefold. One, from binaural summation. Binaural summation means that basically your loudness sensitivity is better. Um, You don't need things as loud to understand them as clearly. The next thing is binaural squelch. That's a fancy way of saying you can hear better in background noise. There is so much redundancy in the speech signal. You have your, your auditory system, your ears are basically two independent systems. So they process things independently until they hit the superior olivary complex in the midbrain stem, in the midbrain and the brainstem. And then they fuse and the redundancies occur there. And so you will hear and perform better, listen more easily in background noise with two ears. And then third, and to a lesser extent, but still, well, I should say to a lesser extent with devices, to a lesser extent with, um, you know, prosthetic treatment, which are hearing aids or implants, is localization. Your localization, of course, is better because the cues, the ITDs, ILDs, inter- t- inter-oral timing differences, inter-level, inter-oral level differences, um, basically the head shadow effect, you have the sound to your right, it reaches your right ear milliseconds before it hits your left. The high frequencies absorb and low frequencies bend around the head. So those are the three primary, loud and sensitivity ease of listening and background noise and localization. Okay. Now I have a question to follow up, even though we're out of time. Um, I've had numerous patients that have had brainstem CVAs. So should I send them for a sedated ABR? Should I request a sedated ABR on those kids? Because a lot of those kids can't sit through sound booths um, because of, yeah. Ideally, What's yes. The- and, and and they could start with a possibly be able to sit through an OA screen, uh, autoacoustic emission screen. And if they pass all that, then it's not extreme. But to get a true measure of hearing sensitivity, acuity, yes, the ABR is the gold standard. In It really is a gold standard across children and adults. People like to say, oh, we'll get them in a the booth. And that's no. Objectively, electrophysiologic measures, objective measures are done through um auditory brain uh yeah auditory brain stem response testing it's cortical signals in response to an external stimuli we're animals that's what it is and you can't get more objective than that that's awesome and on that no questions we're animals and then go to questions we are we're no, just higher functioning yeah uh you just I have a little girl that I swear on my life, I've treated her for a while, but she just started this new behavior and she's had three CVAs and that last one hit her brainstem. And I swear it looks like she's doing echolocation. How old is she? Three and two or three months. You know, so uh, a natural sleep state uh, ABRs are are possible. Where again, the child just falls asleep, um, and and eh, it's it's kind of equivocal as far as 
um, the age of the child, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, maybe not. It's something to try if you're, uh, or if the parent was against uh, sedation, but uh, an ABR is going to get you the most conclusive results. For that. Because hmm. she, hmm. I say, okay, all right, we really have to behave ourselves and go over to questions now, but thank you. Of course. Thank you so very much. Thank you. This is delightful. And, and I have, I have questions for a different day for a different topic, but this is not that day. So we will email back and forth on that because now I have, I want to know best practices on hearing assessments. Right. So good. good. Okay. All right. So then we'll do a follow-up and everybody's like, yes, yes. We do the follow-up. I feel like we put the cart before the course here, Jason. We like, we should have done that one to follow up with this one, but whatever. Casera. Okay. Thank you. Hold tight and let me switch to questions, okay? That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.